verses been read, the songs we've sung, the one we just had the opportunity to hear, worship along with as we read the words are so particular, particularly appropriate to this morning's text uh, in John chapter 11. So as you turn there, keep those things in mind and thank you. I want to thank all of you who have participated in the Mentor City Fest outreach. Thank you so much. Uh, we thank all of you who came to uh, the church picnic last Sunday. We all just had such a wonderful time uh, together. And, uh, it was a blessing. You probably received another new birth announcement this week in the email. I hope your heart leaps for joy, just like the angels do in heaven over one sinner that repents every time you see uh, those emails come your way. Looking forward to another baptism in September. So if you haven't obeyed the Lord since you've been born again, we'd love to help you do that uh, as we go forward here today. I wonder if there's a young guy in the auditorium of high school or college and career age that would be willing to come up and pray this morning from the pulpit and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word putting someone on the spot. Who should do this? Pastor Steve? Pastor Mike? Should we pick somebody? This is completely random. And uh, going to freak somebody out. If we have no volunteers, then maybe we'll just choose someone in the first five years class. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's safer. Do we? Who do we have? Sound booth? Joshua. Come on up, my friend. And we'll keep it simple and sweet, my brother. Just pray that God will bless the preaching of his word and help us to understand it and apply it. Okay? Let's pray together this morning. Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, as we come here in prayer today, thank you for this wonderful day that we were able to worship with everyone, all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I pray for everyone going back to school all the nurses, all the administrative staff, all the students, all the professors, everyone, that everyone would be able to not only do well in their studies, but that would enable us to preach your word and evangelize the lost in doing so. I'd pray for the blessing of the preaching today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many faculty, staff, medical people, maintenance people, teachers, home schools, and other schools Pastor Mike mentioned and prayed for earlier? Could you just stand real quick? I think it would be great to have our people see all who we're praying for in any role in any school district, music, whatever. We've got quite a few. That's why Pastor Mike did what he did earlier. And uh, so, hey, praise the Lord for you folks. You may be seated. I thought it would be good to give a visual. Um, well, we're back in John chapter 11, uh, famously known as the seventh sign of John, uh, the seventh miracle. This particular miracle will give way to the Lord Jesus Christ announcing himself later on in verse 25 as I am the resurrection and the life. We also said last week that out of all the passages in John, that this is one that speaks not only to Jesus' divinity, but also equally to his humanity. Last week we focused on his human love for this sweet family in Bethany just outside Jerusalem. And we made some very specific applications to that understanding of how Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus and how they loved him and how there's only five people in the whole New Testament including the Gospels where that's mentioned of how Jesus loved these people and, and uh, I hope you've had some time to think over this past week that whether it be with someone in your home or a friend outside of your home I've had to uh, utilize that particular blessing in my life with 
someone who gets me, someone who understands me thoroughly, someone who can um, uh, easily pass over my transgressions, someone who can um, just know me well and love me well. This week, uh, going through a particular trial in my life, it's just nice to have that someone. Maybe it's your discipler, your disciplee. Uh, I hope that, develop, that relationship's developing with those folks. But we all need someone we can just go to and just uh, be ourselves and uh, be spiritually ministered to. Um, maybe you have more than one, praise God, Jesus did. Um, but among all the blessings that the flock of God is to us, I think that's particularly important as lived out by Jesus, the man of God here in this text. Now, we're going to move on to his ministry to the disciples. Uh, we're going to learn four particular things this morning that Jesus modeled for. Three, three he modeled for his disciples, which led to one uh, active aspect of their fellowship of him. Three things the Lord Jesus modeled for them that led to one active aspect um, for the disciples. Um, this is all happening before they, they march to Bethany together. And I hope it's an encouragement uh, to your hearts. This is really found in verses 6 to 16. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days. We read that last week. Longer in the place where he was, then after he, this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. And the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. So I'd like to just discuss this morning these, these four aspects, one passive learning of the disciples and then one active aspect of obedience and I trust that we'll see how um, our humanity, if you will, we all are all human, uh, our humanity can be ministered to by our human Jesus. When it comes to understanding what it means to be a growing and maturing disciple, follower of, of Jesus Christ. We're going to see, first of all, the reason for Jesus' delay in going to Bethany, we noticed here that it was a two-day delay. Remember, he'd received the invitation from the messenger. Lord, the one that you love is sick. Some people look at this as an invitation. I think it was just a message. I don't think there was any, as we said last week, any expectation of the family in Bethany to have Jesus scurry down to their hometown. But then it says here that Jesus stayed two days. Now we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story when we read this text. The disciples didn't. I think that's very important to remember. There's only one person in this text that knew the end of the story, and that's Jesus himself. So when the disciples know that Jesus has received this very serious message about his, one of his best friends being quite ill, and they stay for two days, there has to be something going through his followers' minds and hearts. Why isn't Jesus, why aren't we packing our bags and why aren't we going to Bethany? And that would be an obvious question to ask. 
I've read this text over and over and over in my life. And again, studying it for this week, and I look at that two-day delay, and it's always puzzled me. It's always puzzled me. But nonetheless, I look at this From God's perspective, we know what verse 4 said, right? That divine proclamation, this sickness is not to end in death, but so that the glory of God might be revealed, so that Jesus Christ himself might be glorified. So we know that there's a divine perspective to what's happening here. So when Jesus stops for two days, it's kind of a reminder to us when we're in crisis or when we're enduring a difficult time how the Lord even answers our prayers Jesus has been made aware of the issue at hand many of you have been taught I was taught all my life that there's really four particular ways that God answers prayer whether we're in a time of crisis or not sometimes he answers right away Some people would juxtapose to that right away before we even ask. Sometimes Jesus just says no, and that's always the hardest answer for us to hear, isn't it, as humans? And sometimes he answers above and beyond all that we what? Could ask or even think. And sometimes he just says, just wait a bit. This is one of those answers. The message has come. Just going to wait 48 hours. We know Lazarus is deathly sick. We know that as readers, what's going to happen, but think for a moment, again, how the disciples are feeling. Jesus' statement of verse 4 sets the pace, if you will, of the Lazarus narrative with divine purpose. The glory of God will be revealed and the Son of God also will be glorified. You know, when we're in a crisis and we pray, the Lord does answer in one of those four ways mentioned above. And in each case, his glory will be revealed either in the demonstration of his omnipotent hand or by the demonstration of divine grace in your own life to persevere towards Christ's likeness as you endure a no or as we even endure a wait a minute or wait a bit. We're all reminded of William Cooper's famous hymn where he writes in these times of no and wait a minute behind every frowning providence is God's smiling face. I also think it's wise at this juncture to remember the Lord Jesus is always seeking to develop and mature the faith of his followers as they get a no or a wait a minute. It's very clear here by a very definitive statement that Jesus makes in a little bit that he's seeking to grow the faith of his followers. Reminds us of James chapter 1. As we endure, count it all joy as we endure the trial of your faith. The purpose of that trial is to produce, do you remember? Endurance. That no, that wait a minute, there's something for us to learn. And there's a way for us to grow. The family in Bethany, remember, has just informed Jesus of Jesus of Lazarus' illness. There's something even for them to learn that we'll discover as we go on in chapter 11. I believe the most important spiritual development is among the disciples here, though, in our context, as Jesus chooses to wait it out for two days. He's teaching the disciples, having already made the statement of verse 4, he's never indifferent to human suffering. That's why that statement of verse 4 is so pivotal. Jesus is never indifferent to human suffering. We know he loves Lazarus' family. He'll tell the disciples again in chapter 13, coming up here in a few months, weeks maybe, that he loves them with an everlasting love and that he loves them until the end of the age. He's reassured them 
of his love over and over. He's demonstrated his divinity as he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily through six signs already. And he recognizes, though, that there is a spiritual, guttural struggle that ensues when we know there's an extreme need in our lives. We are told by God to wait a bit. Grace compels us to do a number of things, but certainly as we wait, we're doing what the disciples do in the passage before us. They stay with Jesus. They didn't jump ahead of his wisdom. They didn't complain about his inaction, his apparent inaction. They stay with him. They wait not just with him, they wait on him. It's quiet for 48 hours. The text, John records nothing of what happens in those two days. What happens in your mind, in your heart, when things go quiet, when you're going in a crisis? And all that we have is Jesus. We wait with him, and we wait on him. We come to know more about him. We learn to entrust him and entrust ourselves unto him as a faithful creator in more effectual ways. So as the disciples are in a wait-and-see mode, they're also in a trust mode. Yet we see in the text later that as they trust, they're also ready to request the Lord's direction when he finally reveals it. The delay of two days here is critical for so many reasons. But specifically for the disciples, Jesus wants their faith stretched and he wants their faith strengthened again. And that's okay for Jesus to do that with us, isn't it? He knows how much they can handle, and he knows what they can't. Does that sound familiar scripturally? He also actually knows how much Mary and Martha can handle, and how much they can't. It's good to wait on Jesus. There's more opportunities and difficult times to seek him, and find him, and know him, Trust yourself to him. He is always working his divine, omniscient angles this side of eternity. And those may never be revealed to you or to me. But Jesus is always good. God is always good. Faithful is he who has called you, who also will bring it to pass. And he will be glorified. So there's something to learn there of the reason for the delay for us as his followers. And therefore, there's something to learn here about Jesus' determination as well. His determination. Verse 7 Jesus informs the disciples that it's time to go to Bethany. It's time to get up and go now. The disciples remind Jesus that it wasn't all too long ago that people in that region wanted to put him to death. You remember the scene from chapter 10 in the Feast of Dedication. This is a tremendous reminder to us that there's much to learn as we wait on Jesus as there is to learn when he says, okay, it's time to move. What a blessing it is for us to read of Jesus' patience with the men and their response in verse 8. He doesn't rebuke them. We're free to speak with the Lord Jesus. He hears us as we walk, talk, and serve him. I think I would have been somewhat offended as a leader of these men if they would have questioned me having seen six amazing signs already. And plenty more that John doesn't mention. Well, Jesus, you know, 
they're going to kill you. And don't think for a second. I mean, Thomas tells us later in verse 16, if you go, we're going to go too. Right? But Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He just says, let's go. So they're compelled again to remember Jesus' anchor statement in verse 4. And learn it, really, it really... They learn this statement in verse 4 in layers, if you will, throughout the whole Lazarus narrative. God will bring glory to himself as his glory is revealed. God's glory will be revealed and Jesus himself will be glorified in their trip to Bethany. There will be no dying until the Lord says it's his time. And even in that hour of his death, the Father is glorified. Now Jesus teaches his own determination to the disciples through an old proverb. We're going to see this allows the followers of Jesus, his disciples, us to both catch and be taught what God expects of those who follow him in any crisis. We wait on him. When he says go, we go. And how do we take advantage of learning from Jesus' determination in this regard, after they tell him, eh, they caution him, right? You're going to die, Lord. We may die. Jesus gives this wonderful proverb that we've already read twice in two weeks here. In verse 9, they didn't have um, wristwatches back in the day, right? We know that, right? They didn't have cell phones that had satellite time accurate. There's no timepieces, really that are personal. The Jewish culture always divided 24 hours into 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. Now, we understand how that works across various time zones in our world. But for the Jewish mind, 24 hours is 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. The Proverbs simply stating what is true about a day. During the day, there are designated hours for light to shine so we don't trip and fall in in addition Jesus is just teaching the disciples that really nothing can befall them because God the Father has determined how many days and nights one should live no person group of people or illness can change the number of days the Lord would have you live. That's been predetermined. And he's also teaching them that they need to take advantage of the days that they're given. Don't fear me being killed, fellas. You're not going to be killed either. We're going to go and we're going to take advantage of this day's opportunity. We're going to do so in a pretty determined fashion. Go back with me to John chapter 9. You remember that story we went through not too long ago of the man born blind and they were wondering whose sin, the parents or the son, caused him to be born blind and Jesus said neither. This man sinned, verse 3, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then remember the application we came to in verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is what? Day. Night is coming when no man can work. So there's a spiritual and physical obvious reality here. We are all given so many physical days to live no one can add or take away from that amount of days for any of us. But within that day, there are acts of spiritual light that we are to be busy pursuing together, individually and then collectively as a band of Jesus' followers. This is quite challenging to me, and I'm sure it is to you as you walk with God. I, I think about what God has planned for me and what I know of and that I don't know. And he desires me to pursue these plans while I live within the context of Grace Church of Menor. To boldly go and accomplish these works he's pre-designed for me in eternity past. And 
Guess what? For you too. What an opportunistic time this is for his disciples. What a time of opportunity for us, kids, young adults. Think of this. God packed your spiritual luggage in eternity past, appointed a day of your conversion, and then also appointed a number of days for you to live as a saved individual and within those days gave you multiple opportunities to live obediently for him and towards him and for his glory and those opportunities are all full of eternal divine purpose. I came to recognize this Reality later in high school. I wish I would have known it earlier. When I came to recognize this particular principle, not from this text, but another one, um, God, God used that truth to really spark um, a desire to find out what my spiritual gifting was like wow if I have a certain number of days to be saved and a certain number of days to live while I'm saved whether that be a week or decades I got to get busy <laughs> we got to do something here for Jesus sake do you think that way I know it's really really easy just to kind of go through the natural rhythms of life and go through the emotions of life without much thought about these things, but Jesus gives this ancient proverb for a reason. And not all of his band of followers grew up to be full-time vocational ministers of the gospel. These were what we would call today simple, faithful, lay people. God has given you days and opportunities to live for divine purpose. Now let's go. Let's do something together with both. I watched a number of you children during day camp. You mentioned that a couple weeks ago. I'm observing among our young people some tremendous spirit gifting and ability. Among our youth as the church of tomorrow, our souls being equipped, having received every gift necessary for the church to function in a healthy manner going forward. Again, I want to challenge the kids, elementary, junior high, high school, maybe college and career. When is the last time you thought about God would have you do through this church to best invest your time during your spiritual day that he's given you to walk in? Kids, do you pray about it? Do you think about it? Is the Spirit of God beginning to move past sparking an interest in your divine purpose here to stoking that spark to be a flame that burns in your soul to the point where you have to know what does God want me to do here and now. So when he says, let's go, I'm ready. The future ushers, Sunday school teachers, pastor teachers of both Grace and its church plants are already here. They're already here. And we need to embrace this determination that Jesus is teaching and modeling for his disciples on a way to performing the seventh of the greatest signs. Let's go to Bethany. Let's move. Let's go together. Jesus doesn't go alone. Let's figure it out. 
Someone once wrote, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Who said that? Jesus did. Do you guys remember our sweet, dear friend, Peg Sharp? Do you remember when she was preparing for her 80th birthday? She wanted to go skydiving on her birthday. I actually had a private meeting with Peg about that idea. You didn't know. She may be live streaming this morning. Hello, Peg. I didn't call and get permission for her to use this illustration. But I just pulled her aside after church, and I, I said, Peg, listen, we all love you. We'd like to have you around a little bit longer. You're going to go skydiving on your 80th birthday. Why in the world, Peg, would you want to do that? And her eyes just lit up with all kind of excitement. I've always wanted to do this. And my kids are going to do it with me. I was like, Peg, I cannot get excited about skydiving. And I'm less than half your age. What in the world? I'm going, Pastor Tim. And then she said this. Pastor Tim, if I don't understand by now that the Lord's given me a certain amount of days to live, I'll never understand it. Amen. And I still kind of got squeamish when she said that. She goes, I'll be fine and it'll be fun. <laughs> well, Peg's still with us and she's in her 90s now, so I suppose that uh, God's given her uh, a particular amount of days in which to live, not to be reckless, but to live, right? And And... She pursued that opportunity with great determination. Well, my friends, there is a daring exploration that's involved with living in the light of Christ unto eternal purpose. We are the people of the spiritual front lines of our culture. God has every desire to have his glory revealed through our work in the day. And he has omniscient plans for us to glorify his son in the process. So yes... There's some determination on Jesus' part in these short verses, and he wants to do this with us, not by himself. So Jesus is always teaching through his delays. He's always teaching and modeling determination to move forward while it's day with spiritual opportunity. And therefore, he's always interested in deepening our faith through good doctrinal reminders along the way. And that's where we go, number three. Jesus deepens our faith in any moment so that we may move forward unto gospel purpose. Verse 11, Jesus is wise and continues to ease the disciples into going to Bethany with them. He says, hey, fella, our friend. Isn't that neat? He doesn't say my friend. I think it's not just neat for friendship purposes, but it's neat because of what we're going to see next. Our friend Lazarus is asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. After the pronoun our is used to begin the sentence, maybe you noticed when we read through it the last couple weeks or on your own, the sudden emphasis on the pronoun I. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go. But they're all going together. So that I may wake him out of sleep, not you. There's a direct correlation here to verse 25 when Jesus uses the pronoun I. The disciples don't see it yet, but they can at least be eased in knowing that Jesus will be alive and active and not dead when he first sees Lazarus. <laughs> so their fear of what's going to happen, at least they know now as Jesus gradually grows them, is really not a real and present fear. Though Jesus is always with those who follow him, by the use of the pronoun I here, he's reminding his sweet, ever so slowly learning disciples like me and you that he is what he's already demonstrated himself to be through the whole book. He is the lamb 
of God that's come to take away the sin of the world, chapter 1. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life. He is the door. He is the good shepherd. He is the way, truth, and life. We'll see in just a few weeks, and in our context, he is the resurrection and the life. He will never, never leave nor forsake his own in any of these ways that he is. Jesus said that Lazarus had fallen asleep. He knew that he was dead, but his disciples didn't. So they say, Lord, why don't you just let him sleep? Anyone who's sick needs sleep to recover. And then in verse 13, John informs us that by sleep, Jesus meant death. In verse 14, Jesus expresses to them that Lazarus is indeed now not just deathly ill, but he's gone. And then in verse 15, he picks up the use of that personal pronoun I again. It's powerful to me. He said something here very, very interesting that I think just really doctrinally deepens their understanding of who Jesus is. I was glad for your sakes I was not there. Who he was glad for? He's already intent on glorifying the Father. That's the slam dunk. I was glad for you that I was not there. There's something always more about Jesus for us to learn. This is, this is very much what Paul was, was writing about in Philippians chapter 3, my friends. Where Paul says, never am I going to feel like I've arrived in my understanding of who Jesus is. But this one thing I do, I... I, I, I look away from my past and I, I walk forward into that high calling of God in Christ Jesus. My, my whole life is to know his, his nature, his person, his work, and his life. There's something more here, even though the disciples have walked with him for just three years. And they've glamorously seen all that they've seen that we have not, right? Blessed are those who believe having not seen. They saw it all in 4D. And yet there's still something for them to learn of Jesus. And he's asking them to learn it now. You need to know it was good for you for me not to be there. There's something more for you to learn of me in addition to me just being there and healing Lazarus from his sickness. Now, disciples, are you ready to continue to learn? Right? Trust and obey for there's no other way. It reminds us that what is impossible with us is always possible with Jesus when it comes to matters of spiritual life and death. I think there's something else for us to notice here that will bring your confidence to live in the day now. Jesus uses the word sleep to explain death. He knows the disciples won't catch on at first, but he knows they will catch on. There had to be a glimpse of a moment at the end of verse 15. There had to be an understanding because of where we're headed as we conclude this morning. Where the disciples realized a little bit more about their own Christology, if you will. Their understanding of the doctrine of Jesus, the God-man. Speaking the pronoun I alongside the metaphor for death or sleep had to teach his young followers something of his divine ability while leaving them in anticipation of seeing what comes next. Isn't this what God does for us? He brings us deeper in understanding of himself, all the while drawing us to the threshold of greater spiritual opportunity in our days that we have to live for him. There's a very certain amount of doctrine we need to continue to know and absorb as we step across various thresholds of eternal opportunity. Always keep learning of him. Always keep going as he goes.
I think the two are juxtaposed here for good reason. This is why Paul proclaimed in the same text in Philippians we mentioned earlier that I may know him, continually know him in the power of his what? Of his resurrection. They're about to see that. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, but don't think for a moment when he's taking this metaphor of sleep and death and the use of the personal pronoun I that he in some way isn't foreshadowing for them his own death, burial, and resurrection. Where he literally is and becomes the resurrection and the life. So there's purposes in God's delays. There's determination to be caught and taught and lived in our day from the Lord Jesus. There's always greater doctrinal learning that prepares us for gospel advancement. But there's one more virtue John reveals that's necessary for us to embrace now and then activate. Verse 16, as we finish this morning. Thomas, who's called Didymus, and by the way, I just understand that to be a twin. Um, Some of you who are twins still kind of endure that to this day. Oh, you're so-and-so. You're a twin, aren't you? That's basically what's being said here. I believe this is the Thomas that was doubting Thomas later that we know of. Therefore, Thomas, who is a twin, that's how he's identified, he's that Thomas, said to his fellow disciples, let's get up and go. We're going to go die with him. My friends, as immature and as elementary as you might see that statement from Thomas now, understanding all that he had seen and all that they had endured with Jesus. What is revealed here from this disciple is a deep, deep level of commitment as he seeks to walk towards spiritual opportunity, understanding the proverb that Jesus has given They will accomplish as much as Jesus had intended them to accomplish in the days he had intended them to live. And there's nothing going to take, no one, no thing that's going to take that opportunity away from them. So if we die on this trip, that's God's will. Let's go and see what he has for us in the meantime. It's literally what Thomas is saying here. I wrote a quote down a long time ago in my little notebook of illustrations. And it says this, loyalty does not require optimism. Loyalty doesn't require optimism. Another famous author said, however, what we witness here in the text is a sort of raw devotion and courage The disciples will follow Jesus wherever he decides to go. A vivid expression of living as a disciple of Christ who understands what it means to take up his cross, deny himself, and follow him. The simple progress from verse 15 to 16 doesn't seem all that significant, but it is quite profound. The the disciples have understood, at least Thomas, that whatever the Lord Jesus plans, we're going to Bethany where God ordained, whereby God would be glorified, and even if this meant death for all of them, at least they would die with their Savior. This is just what genuine faith does. It's loyal unto the death. What deep devotion. And there is a progression in the text. Learning in the delay, learning and catching the determination of the Savior, enjoying a deeper dive into the doctrine of understanding and learning Jesus Christ, and now movement forward with deep devotion. Always forward. 
the gospel knows nothing of dormancy in the scriptures. Do you understand that? We have no gospel, my friends, if we have no gospel progress. Because God advances the cause of his son. And he chooses to use us in the pursuit. Are you with me? Do you really know the gospel yourself if you don't have any devoted, deep commitment to its advancement in your life with your family, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, the people you exercise with? Do you even have a gospel if you're not prayerfully seeking to have God use you to advance it? It may be all here, but for Thomas and his followers, there was a devotion of, you know what, we're going to go. We're going to advance. And we're going to do it faithfully, even if it means we're going to be in paradise in the next 24 hours. D.A. Carson says, this courage was shot through with misunderstanding and incomprehension, yet they still remain devoted. You don't have to have it all figured out, my friends. You don't have to have the terminal degree in theology or two or three to wait to know enough to pursue the will of God with Jesus Christ. Your greatest days of gospel advancement were most likely the, the days, hours, and weeks, and months right after you first were born again. And how much did you know? So many people wait around too long because they don't feel they know enough. And yet we're told in the early chapters of the books of Acts that, that, that 12 ordinary, uneducated men turned the world upside down for Christ's sake. They knew nothing and yet were devoted to gospel cause. The disciples haven't come close to peaking in their spiritual growth. You, you and I haven't either, right? But someday we shall be like him when we see him as he is. For now we're progressing in what it means to be Christ-like. And yet at our spiritual maturity level, no matter where you are in your growth process, Jesus still intends to use you for gospel purpose today and tomorrow and the next day after that. One of my favorite authors wrote this. It's hard to remember that Jesus did not come to make us safe, but rather to make us disciples, citizens of God's new age, a kingdom of surprise. May we imitate Thomas in this regard, to devote our lives to living for Christ, even in the midst of uncertainty, and even when we're not able to fully comprehend the situation at hand, let's remain devoted. Famous preacher John Stott said this one time, perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus Christ is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. It was the resurrection which transformed Peter's fear into courage and James' doubt into faith. It was the resurrection which changed Saul the Pharisee into Paul the Apostle and turned his persecuting into preaching. Jesus' power to save, to take you from spiritual death to spiritual life, He's using us as the conduit of that message of he being able to still save omnisciently, powerfully. So I would call myself, I would call all of us to 
embrace this deep devotion. It's going to require this kind of courage, my friends. Pastor Mike prayed it earlier. We're in a difficult time. The whole world is suspicious. The whole world is accusing. The whole world is canceling. The whole world is unifying under self. The whole world is making themselves the center of their own universe. And yet what a great opportunity that we have to advance Jesus together with this kind of deep commitment. C.S. Lewis once said, until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. This is who we are. This is what we do. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus' ministry to his disciples throughout the Gospels, but particularly in this context. Always gracious, always patient, always kind. Always modeling, always teaching, immutably so, perfectly so. And Lord, we're so, we fall so shy of that. But as we learn of him. May that develop and cultivate in us a deeper devotion to follow. And to do the works of God while we have daylight. Lord, for some of us, that even begins at lunchtime today with lunch dates that we have of people that need Jesus. As we walk in our neighborhoods or ride our bikes tonight or tomorrow, as we exercise, wherever we go, Lord, we seek to do it because of what we've learned of Christ. It's been modeled by him and by his grace, the deepening commitment to live this way and unto this purpose until we hear that trumpet sound or breathe our last. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.